So, uh, guys, I was at the SALT conference, which is our college ministry conference in Des Moines over the past couple days. And when I started with our network of churches, there was no conference. There were about 400 students who were meeting at the embassy suites in Des Moines. And we had this vision for this network of churches to kind of blow up and a bunch of college students be in Des Moines eventually. And I went to this thing and we did this conference in the round and there were over 4,000 college students there from around the Midwest. And God is doing this incredible thing. Something I like to say often is what, one of the greatest evidences that Jesus is alive in this generation is a college student worshiping him. And it was like this college basketball environment. So you have schools from all over the place. Of course, it's college students. So people have their chests painted. People are running around with flags and, and got to worship with all these people. And it was just an amazing experience. I think I've got a picture. Is there a picture up here? Am I right? Yeah. So, so here's one, one picture from, from this event. And um, yeah, it was just incredible. One of the things we did when we first got to this conference is we're sitting in the round. There's kind of screens all over the place. And they put music on and they told everybody to pull out their phone and turn on the flashlight on their phone. And then basically in text on these screens, it started asking different questions. And it started off just kind of fun, like, are you from out of state? And then people would hold their light up. Or are you from a school in Iowa? And people would hold their light up and, and so on and so forth. And then it got kind of serious. And they said, hey, feel free to answer these questions or not. And they said, who here feels burnt out or anxious? And you see all these lights go up in this dark room. And then who's feeling like they're unlovable in God's sight. And the phones go up and the room goes silent and the whole tone of the room begins to change. And it just reminded me that no matter what generation you're a part of, the message of the gospel is applicable. We all need the rescue of Jesus in this dark world. And so the big idea today out of the book of Exodus is that God rescues his people. Kind of a famous story. We're looking at the story of the, the burning bush and we're seeing, first of all, when God rescues. So we're in Exodus chapter 3, starting at the very beginning. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So last week, Jordan left us off with Moses having just killed an Egyptian 
and having fled from his place of privilege in Pharaoh's house and going to the land of Midian. Now we know that 40 years have passed since that time. So Moses was 40 when he killed the Egyptian. It's 40 years later. In the past 40 years, Moses has not been doing a ministry job. He hasn't really been, in a real sense, from an outward perspective, doing anything for God. He's been acting as a shepherd. And so this is just an ordinary day in the ordinary life of a seemingly ordinary person. All of us experience this in sort of our work and life. If you do something long enough, it becomes mundane. So he's out, he's gotten married, his father-in-law asks him that day to watch the sheep, which over the course of 40 years he's done many times before. He's a shepherd. And so he's out walking in a land that he is completely familiar with, doing something that he's used to doing. And he sort of comes around a corner and he sees a bush that he's likely seen many times before. Except this time there's something different about the bush. The bush is on fire, but he notices that although the bush is on fire, the bush is not being consumed by the fire. And so he is curious and starts to walk toward the bush. And then he, fe- he hears a voice coming out of the bush. It's the voice of the angel of the Lord, which we later know is the Lord himself. So he sees this presence. He walks towards the bush. He hears God's voice out of the bush. And the bush says to Moses his name. Moses. Moses. Now that'll freak you out. And then God says from the bush, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Tells him to take off his sandals because the place that he is standing is holy ground. And it's holy ground, not because there's anything special about Midian or there's anything special about the bush, but because God is there. And so this is a unique moment in our history as the people of God because God had never done this thing before. And we see later on in the story that God is calling Moses out to send him back to Egypt to be the instrument of rescuing his people from 400 years of slavery. But just because it's a part of this grand narrative of scripture and it's a turning point in salvation history doesn't mean it doesn't have anything to do with you. Here we learn something really important about how God rescues his people throughout generations. And that's that it's on ordinary days for ordinary people at unexpected moments. So here's what I don't want you leaving this service thinking. Wow, that was awesome that Moses encountered God in such a powerful way, but that could never happen to me. But I also don't want you leaving the service thinking, yeah, I'm kind of expecting this to be like the normal walk with God that I have, that I hear from him like this in this powerful, all-consuming way. What I want us leaving with is to expect the unexpected, to believe that God speaks 
that he wants to know us, that he loves us, and that he wants to rescue us. I remember when I first moved to Minneapolis, I did what everybody does when they first moved to Minneapolis. I went to Ikea. <laughs> and at that time, I was kind of lamenting the fact that I was kind of crossing on the highway with one of my best friends from high school who I named my son Gabe after. His name's Gabe Smith. He was a resident at Mayo Clinic. And just as I was moving up to Minnesota, he was moving away. And we had tried to get together, but we just couldn't make it work. And so went into Ikea and got, you know, a sectional couch and all this furniture and, and all these things. And I'm just checking out of Ikea. And all of a sudden, my friend Gabe... And his wife, Ashley, walk into Ikea with their five kids. And so this ordinary moment turns into this exceptional opportunity for us to eat Swedish meatballs together <laughs> upstairs. And so we just end up hanging out for the next few hours. And it honestly was just this like moment of unexpected grace from God for me. And so now, every time I'm in an airport or I'm at Ikea or, or somewhere where I could possibly run into somebody, I remember that, and my eyes are sort of open, and I'm like, could I run into like a friend from high school or a friend from college or somebody I haven't seen for a long time? And so that experience has made me expect the unexpected. And I would love if this text would make us have a similar attitude toward the mundane things of our life that you would go to work and you'd be like, I wonder if I'm going to encounter God today by having the opportunity to share the gospel with one of my coworkers. I wonder if, if as I'm reading my Bible tomorrow morning, doing sort of this routine that I picked up along the way, if God is going to speak to my heart in a unique way and I'll either like burst out in tears or burst out in laughter. I think what this text would have us do, it would have us expect that at different points in our life, God is going to do the unexpected. At Salt City Church, we believe this whole book, and you can label us however you want. You can label us charismatic or Pentecostal or whatever you want to say. I don't necessarily love those labels, but we believe that God speaks to people today and that you can hear his voice. So God interacts with Moses, which is setting up this rescue. So why is God interested in interacting with his people? Why does he rescue? Listen to this beautiful passage, verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. By the way, when you read those Bible names, I have no idea how to pronounce those. Just say them strong and confidently and everybody thinks you know, you know what you're talking about, okay? And now, behold the cry of my people, Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, think about this. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Longer than our country has been in existence. They have been oppressed, brutalized. They have PTSD. They're traumatized. They have scars on their backs. They have stories from their grandparents and their grandparents' grandparents. Their women have been raped. Their kids have been abused. It has been absolutely awful. And for them, maybe the deepest struggle is they've identified themselves as the people of God. The sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So there's not just the physical suffering. There's this emotional suffering and even like a spiritual suffering because they've been crying out to God or they've stopped crying out to God because they don't think that he hears them anymore. And they've wondered, does God even care? And some of them have gotten so cynical that they've said, God doesn't care. Forget it. It's not even worth worshiping or serving him anymore. And God speaks to Moses. And Moses eventually relays this message to the nation of Israel. And God says, not, I do see the affliction of my people. But I have surely seen the affliction of my people. He's saying, for 400 years, years, I have not only observed at 30,000 feet what you're going through, I have been with you every step of the way. I've seen every moment of your suffering. I haven't turned my face away from it. I've seen it. I've not just seen it, but I've heard your cries. See, what that says to me is God is not just saying, like, I see it, like, generally, I know what's been going on. But when he says, I've heard their cries, he's saying, like, I've heard the cries of Bob and Mary and Larry and Steve and, like, specific cries. Like, I, those weren't their names, by the way. But I've heard the cries of specific Israelites. Like, I know you're suffering. I'm a father who loves you and, and cares about you. And I have a purpose in this. And I'm God, so you don't necessarily understand my plan or what I'm doing in all of this. But I have been grieved to the heart with you. I love you. And now, the primary expression of that is that I'm calling to this guy Moses out of a bush. He's having this strange experience and I am sending him to you to lead you out and to rescue you. Yes, from physical slavery, yes, from oppression, yes, from being traumatized on a daily basis, but more deeply than that, what God wants them to know is that he has been for them the entire time. He wants to connect with them relationally. Here's the application for us. God sees our affliction 
in your suffering, it will be your temptation to believe that God doesn't care. That he doesn't see. And so you may be tempted to become like a baby who's living in an orphanage, who's cried out so many times, and no one has come, that you stop crying. And this passage would remind us that even though it might seem like God does not see and God does not hear, we have this assurance that he does. We don't understand his purpose. We don't necessarily understand what he's doing, but we know that he is our rescuer. And so we see this foreshadowing his sending of Jesus to rescue us. So he sent Moses to rescue the people of Israel out of slavery. He sent Jesus to rescue us out of the darkness of our sin and out of this world which oppresses us. And then he sends us into the world to comfort those that are hurting, to be filled with his spirit and to love those around us as his hands and feet. If you are suffering, cry out for help. I remember I was in a Bible study when I was in high school, and one of our leaders, his name was Craig Smiley. We just called him Smiley, of course. And he was sharing this story about when he was a kid, and he was really poor. And they were just eating rice and beans every night, night after night after night after night after night after night, because that's all that his family could afford. And he was so sad about that because he was like a nine-year-old kid. And he just got tired of it. He got fed up. And his dad asked him to pray one night at dinner. And he just cried out to God. He said, God, tonight, could we have pizza and fried chicken and Pepsi? We have something different. And his dad, he stopped praying. And his dad was starting to talk to him like, Son, God is providing for us, and, and he's given us this rice and beans, and we should be thankful for that, and, and we don't need to ask God for something else. And as his dad was talking, the doorbell rang. And a neighbor had had a party late that afternoon and was standing at the front door with a bucket of fried chicken, a large pizza, and a two-liter of Pepsi. And they said, hey, we had some extra food. I thought that you guys might want this. And, and he just remembers his family just sitting at the table, just crying. Because they had been crying out to God, provide for us. We've been suffering. And their son, just, just think about that. Just that nine-year-old son with bold faith, faith like a child. Just asking God, and they got to see him come through. Some of you are hurting deeply this morning. In such a way that when people ask you in this church how you're doing, it's hard for you to even verbalize that. It's like beyond words. And maybe in all of your suffering, you've lost your voice because you've tried. You've asked your parents for help. 
You've asked your friends for help. You've maybe even asked somebody in this church for help, and you just don't feel like anybody can get at the level of suffering that you're experiencing. And you're like, who do I turn to now? There is suffering so deep that only God can help. And my assurance for you is that he hears. He knows. He loves you. And his silence is not him turning his back on you. It is an opportunity for you to learn to trust. But in time, he will come through for you. And this is because of the final thing that we see in this text. And that's who God is. See, everything that God does flows from who God is. So here's Moses' response to all of these promises from God and God speaking to him out of the bush and God encountering him in such an unexpected way. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So here's Moses' response to God saying, I want to send you. He says, who am I? He recognizes that he's a murderer. He's just a shepherd. Later we see in the text, he has a speech impediment. And he's supposed to be this powerful leader of a nation of millions of people. He says, you got the wrong guy. I don't have it in me. He's saying, I'm insecure. I'm inadequate. I'm not up to the task. I'm not a man of God. I can't do what you've called me to do. And God doesn't give him like a Tony Robbins pep talk, self-esteem, pick me up. No, you're okay. He doesn't build him up at all. He changes the subject. Here's what needs to happen in so many of our lives this morning. We need to change the subject from me to God. We're so focused on ourselves and our own inadequacies and our own sin that we think that God can't use us. God doesn't use us because we're adequate. God uses us because of who he is. And he says, I will be with you. And you can sort of see Moses get jolted out of this sort of navel-gazing introspection And get his eyes off of himself. He lifts his eyes off of himself and he lifts his eyes to God. And he says, 
Who are you? And God gives the most incredible answer. He says, I am who I am. What is God saying? God is saying, I am the creator of the ends of the earth. I always have been and I always will be. I never change. I am love. I am faithful. I am your pursuer. I care. I'm not limited by anything. I am the sovereign maker of the universe. I am all-knowing. And not knowing in the sort of way that you're knowing, like I know all the information in all the books, but I know everything at once. I exist outside of time. I'm not limited by oppression or by affliction or by human weakness. I am always filled with joy. I am unaffected by people's moods. I can't be oppressed. I'm bigger and badder than anyone that you've ever met before. I am who I am, which means you can bank everything on me. You see, everything in this world will scream at you and claim to be the I am. The unchanging thing that will change your life, that will make you happy, whether it's the next car or the next relationship or having kids or having enough money, it claims to be the I am. But what you will see is that all of those things will let you down. But God is saying, I will never let you down. And the guarantee of that is that he has been this way forever. Think about that. God has never changed. He has no need to change. When the new year rolls around, God doesn't make any resolutions because nothing about him needs to change. We can say, I was who I was and I want to be somebody else. God just says, I am who I am. You were made to worship and serve the I am. Because he's the only one whom you can serve who will never let you down because he doesn't need anything from you. God is a giver, a rescuer, a supplier, a friend. He loves you. But it's one thing for somebody to love you, and it's another thing for someone to be powerful enough and consistent enough to always come through for you. That's who God is. I remember when I was in college, I wandered into the Westminster Presbyterian Library, which was near our campus, little church. Went into their library, and I checked out some VHS tapes of R.C. Sproul talking about the holiness of God. And I remember, I had this little 13-inch TV in my dorm room with a VHS player. You guys remember VHS? So awesome. Let's get rid of Netflix. Let's go back to the... And, you know, I just remember putting these VHS tapes in one at a time and listening to R.C. Sproul talk about the holiness of God. And one of the things he talks about is as he started to understand 
that God was the great I am. He remembered as a college student walking around his campus and being haunted by the presence of God in the best possible way. To understand that there is someone so far above you and beyond you who is taking care of you and loves you and cannot be overtaken by anyone else who is the strongest person in the universe is life-changing. And I remember listening to these videos and having a similar experience of going to different churches around town. I would drive out of town to this cemetery and I would think about my own death walking around. I know kind of morbid, but it was amazing. Thinking about my own death and thinking even in my death, I have a God who can rescue me. And I remember walking on this path on campus and, and walking around and just talking to God and, and beginning to realize how big and amazing he was. And that was the beginning of my call from being a scared kid who never wanted to grab the mic or be in any kind of leadership position. I mean, I was the kid at youth group who even when kids would get called up for games, I didn't want to be on the stage. That was my exit time. I would go to the bathroom. Because I didn't want anything to do with the stage. I didn't want anything to do with the leadership. But when I understood that God is my I am, it began to give me the courage to be who he made me to be. You see, spiritual power and confidence do not come from looking inside of yourself and being adequate. They come from looking up to God and being loved by the great I am. Okay, final question. How do we know that this passage is for us? It seems on the surface like this is about the nation of Israel. This is about Moses. This is about this rescue that happened thousands of years ago. Why are we read, reading ancient Near Eastern history as if it is for us? Guys, let me tell you. One of the most amazing chapters in the Bible is John chapter 8. Jesus Christ was in a conversation with some religious leaders of his day. And they are questioning why he is saying and doing what he is saying and doing. And they say to him, you aren't even 50 years old? And you were there when Abraham was alive? Because Jesus had just made that claim. And Jesus says this sentence. A human being walking on the earth, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Some people say Jesus never said that he was God. Those people never read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I'm the one who spoke to Moses out of the bush. I am God. So add this into the story. The I am, the unchanging one, put human flesh on and walked onto the earth. Why? Because this story of Moses is pointing forward to an even greater story. See, what happened in Israel is that the Israelites were 
rescued out of Egypt, and then they spent 40 years wishing they were still in Egypt. Because Egypt wasn't the problem. The problem was that they didn't believe. They needed a deeper rescue than a rescue from physical oppression and trauma and abuse. They needed the rescue of their soul. See, the problem with them is the same problem with us. It's that we have turned our back on God and chosen our own way. We have chosen sin. We say, and that's great that you're the I am, but I am just fine on my own. And so Jesus comes to rescue not just the nation of Israel, but people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And he is saying, I am who I am. <coughs> See, Jesus offers us the deepest possible rescue that we could imagine. So that I am went to the cross. And on the cross, he took on the weight of our sin and our shame and our brokenness. He says, your brokenness for my all-sufficiency and perfection. I'll make you perfect in God's sight if you will believe that I took your sin on. I'll provide everything that you need. And then he died. But here's what's true. You can't kill the I am. So he was three days in the grave, but he is risen. And what we know about the story then is that Jesus rose from death. He spent 40 days telling everyone that he was the true Messiah. And then he didn't die, but went to the right hand of the Father. And here's sort of where we're at in redemptive history. Then Jesus said, it's better that I go away because I'm sending you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And so just as... God sent Moses to the Israelites, and then God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to rescue us. Now he is sending us as the church to a broken and dying world with the message of the good news of the gospel, which is, in very simple terms, contrary to popular belief, God loves sinners. He's knocked out about us. He... He doesn't need anything from us. He looks on our affliction and he's like, I got gotcha. you. No problem. So there's two applications. One is receive again the good news of the gospel for you. I don't have to be adequate. I don't have to fake it. He is who he is and I'm a mess. So I'm going to let him forgive me and fill me with his spirit and care for me and love me. And I'm going to keep crying out to him and he's going to keep coming through for me. And the other one is live as sent ones. We have the answer. We have the hope of the world. Share this good news of the gospel with every person that you can and bring them the hope that God has brought you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this ancient story in Exodus that is so applicable to our lives. We are like Moses, inadequate, self-focused, insecure. We are like the Israelites, oppressed, beaten down, 
and traumatized. We're always changing. We don't remain the same. God, thank you that you are the I am and that you have proven your care for us by coming to earth to die for us, giving us your spirit to empower us. Would we not just be forgiven, but be sent by you this week to share the hope that you have given to us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.